In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Caesar Augustus, formerly known as Octavian, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, the man who solidified the role of emperor for Roman heads of state, who was to be seen as a god, who was to be worshipped as a god. Problem that would occur for Christians just a few years later when they said we can only declare allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Declare that a great taxation should take place. If you're worried about taxes right now, understand that they were talking about taxes back then too. The two constants in life, death and taxes, take place. And Joseph is called to return to his hometown. And this vast empire that had control over little Judea, the small town of Bethlehem, you wouldn't think anything would happen here, but Micah has foretold something different, hasn't he? In chapter 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, who are little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So Joseph travels from the outpost town of Nazareth to the little village of his birth, the city of David, just as the prophets predicted, the line from whom the Messiah would come. And while they were there, shepherds were abiding in the fields. And the angels came and spoke to them, and among the first words to the shepherds were, Fear not. But they had reason to be afraid, did they not? If you think about it, you and I have reason to be afraid too. And it's not simply the, the presence of the divine beings that's shocking, although you see that when Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord, when Moses comes back down off the mountain and his face is glowing, 
when Peter sees the miracles take place and he gets on his knees and says, Depart from me, I'm a fearful man, O Lord. That's part of the awe and the holiness of God. But this is even beyond that. This is the fear that occurs in the garden when Adam and Eve consult with one another when they've listened to the voice of the serpent rather than to the voice of God because they think that they are more responsible for their happiness than God is and they think that they can find happiness outside of God and maybe what God is going to do is hold them back. And so when they hear the voice of God, they run and they flee. They turn. And every single time that you rebel against God, you do the same thing. We think that we're in charge of our lives. We think that we're the ones that are supposed to have it all together. And so when we hear the voice of God, our first reaction, just as an animal that's disobeyed its master, is to cower in fear. But the angel says, fear not. My favorite Christmas movie is the same as many of yours. A Peanuts Christmas special with Charlie Brown still does it for me. It came out in 1965. It's played consecutively every year since. There was a lot of argument over what would be included in that movie. It was on a secular station, PBS, so they weren't sure exactly what to leave in and what to leave out. But Charles Schultz fought really hard to keep in the scripture passage from Luke chapter 2 that Linus eventually reads. If you know anything about Linus, Linus doesn't go anywhere without that security blanket. He's got it with him at all times. People try to tell him to grow up. People try to tell him to let go of it. But whenever that security blanket is dropped, Linus throws a fit. He has a tantrum because that security blanket is what keeps it all together for him. But when he begins to notice the frustration of Charlie Brown, who's trying to coordinate all these people together, he's trying to show them the true meaning of Christmas, and finally in frustration, Charlie Brown cries out, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Linus steps up to the platform. He says, I know what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. He starts reciting from Luke chapter 2. But if you'll notice, as he begins to talk about Mary and swaddling cloths, mangers, when he gets to the part of the message of the angels to the shepherds at fear not, you've got to notice this. He drops the blanket. And he gets louder. And he proclaims the message of Christmas. And when he gets done, it's perfect the way they do this. It's just silence at the end. And there's peace. You think about in the middle of this horrific world in which there is violence and bloodshed and warfare and strife, sitting in a lowly cattle trough is the Prince of Peace, the one who created the universe, is now dependent on his earthly mother for survival. Listen, people who argue that Christianity is a made-up religion, you can't make this stuff up. There's nothing in Scripture, in, in fiction like Scripture plays it out for us. Herod is waiting around in his mansion while the true king is born in a manger. Boy, we try so hard to make our own way to God. We build our own towers. We practice good works. Never able to knock on heaven's door. So when we couldn't get to God, God came to us. And when we realize that reality, I mean really, let it sink in. We drop our insecurities and our blankets 
Because the God of this universe drives away our fears. And as that fear goes away, they go and proclaim this message. They don't keep it to themselves. They know they've got to share it with the whole wide world. These are not educated people with a bunch of degrees behind their names. They're not scholars. They're not rich people. They're just ordinary folks who have been touched by an extraordinary God. And they go and they share that message with anybody who will hear it. There's a crucial importance that takes place here, isn't this? The person and work of Christ Jesus being fully man, fully God, one person. This virgin birth that many try to deny is absolutely paramount to the gospel. And Matthew makes it clear that this is the case. Before they came together, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And we know that this is important because salvation has to come from the Lord. Genesis 3.15 reminds us that the seed of the woman, God says, is what will crush the serpent's head but there's a problem because you and I are part of that seed of the woman and we inherit the sin nature Jesus though is not fully descended from Adam born of a virgin and so he comes into this world unlike us without sin but it's not possible for someone who is fully God to take away sin. That person must also be fully man in order to break the curse. And so when we cannot get to God, God Himself gets to us. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, because nothing shall be impossible with God. It is the most incomparable mystery in all of history that God became man. And he bleeds, and he sleeps, and he cries. Someone has to change his diaper. He laid aside his divine glory and dignity, which he shared with the Father before the world began. Charles Wesley says it well, our God contracted to a span, <laughs> incomprehensibly made man, the God who could have been welcomed by a resounding choir of 10,000 angels is instead greeted by the bellows and the neighing of farm animals. And yet this is exactly how he wants it. Not to identify as one of them with the wealthy and powerful, but as one of us. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled emptied himself took on hell. The only alien encounter that history ever records doesn't happen in Area 51. It happens outside of a barn. Jesus taking on human flesh. The Christmas message is one that's a hope for ruined humanity. Augustine, the early church father, says this well, our Lord came down from life to suffer death. The bread came down to hunger the way came down on the way to weariness. The fount came down to thirst. He so loved us that for our sake He was made man in time, although through Him all times were made. He was made man. Who made man? He was created of a mother whom He created. He was carried by hands that He formed. He cried in the manger in worldless infancy. He the Word, with all whom all human eloquence is mute. And the Bible tells us that Mary pondered these things in her heart. That is, she treasured these things. 
Do you treasure what the Scripture records? His Word reminds us that we must hide His Word in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. Oh, dear friends, when we ponder and we dwell and we behold the mystery of the revelation of Christ, is there anything greater? And when you begin to truly take on this, the insecurities, the doubt, the fears, the frustration, all of that, He drives away. And He offers to us peace. A couple of years ago, I was in New York and wanted to kind of see the different sites. I went along the East River and came to the United Nations building. There were barricades blocking it off. I expected that. What I didn't expect to see was across the street was a passage taken from Isaiah 2 where the Lord talks about they shall beat their swords into plowshares and they shall study war no more. That's ironic. For an organization that's tried to end war and has had limited success at best since its founding. But when you and I think of peace... It's not the kind of peace that the world thinks about. The world thinks about peace as this calmness, this absence of strife. But the Bible doesn't describe it as that. The Bible says that strife will often occur when peace is at the front door. It's when violence and bloodshed and all of the things of this life are right with us. And we've searched for it forever. Jerusalem, ironically known as the city of peace has rarely experienced peace. Patrick Henry said it well in his address, men may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. It's a different kind of peace, is it not? It's a peace that stirs from the conflict from the beginning when the snake comes after the woman and seeks to take the child away and seeks to cut off humanity's offspring from the very God who created them in the first place. This warfare doesn't occur through guns and weapons, though, but through the cry of a baby. So when your kid keeps you up at night, keep in mind that that cry is one of the very cries that is going to save your soul. It's a peace that comes even when my children may be rebelling against the Lord. It's the peace that comes when I'm on a mission field and I'm lonely. It's the peace that comes when I worry about my loved ones, about my circumstances, and it's available to all who will trust in Him, even when the waves seem to be crashing against the cliffs in my life. That peace will one day be fully realized. One of my favorite poems is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. He wrote that in 1863, during the middle of what had to be the most divisive time in our nation's history. You think we're divisive now. Wadsworth Longfellow had lost his wife due to a tragic fire. He had run in trying to save her, had irrevocably burned himself in the process. And now we face the Civil War, which 600,000 people would give their lives, father against son, brother against brother, One of the casualties was one of Longfellow's own boys. Longfellow sat down Christmas Day, 1863, 
and tried to write out a poem about what he was experiencing. And I don't know if you've heard the modern rendition of this song by Casting Crowns. They came out with it a few years ago. It's a modern cover of the song. And they do a really good job with it because they put the song in a minor key. And it really needs to be in that minor key because his happy harmony is going to turn into tragic melody. He talks about hearing the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, wild and sweet, the words repeat, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But he looks around and he sees that's not the case in the world in which he lives. And so he cries it out. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then just as he is about to give up, he remembers the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and he begins to hear the church bells playing in his present-day town. And so he writes the words, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's our hope. That's our cry. That's our plea that one day God will bring peace to this world. He'll bring peace not just to this world, but He'll bring peace to my heart. The reason that there is no peace on earth, one person said, is because there is no peace with God. And as long as you are fighting God in your heart, you will not see peace in your life, much less peace on this earth. But Jesus comes to bring that peace, to make all things new, to realize that we can take heart when all around us goes wrong because the Prince of Peace, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, He ever lives to make intercession for you. Darkness in the light. I put up a Christmas tree by myself for the first time in 32 years without assistance. It's a pre-lit tree. Um, I've had it for a few years, but hadn't put it up by myself. Got all the lights working on the thing last week, and now the top section of lights is out, so I've literally got a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. It's kind of distorted, and I was trying to show it off in the window, but now since it's only half lit, I got the the window shut. But I keep it on until Christmas. I've determined to to keep the thing on. And one night, I was was about to go upstairs to go to bed. When I turn out all the lights, I uh, turn on the upstairs light. It's at the bottom of the steps. Turn the thing on so I can see what's going on upstairs. If I've got something in my hands, or maybe if I'm a little bit scared of the dark, depending on what night it is. And, And I was about to do that just the night before last, to flip on that light. But I'd left the lights on the Christmas tree. And I thought, you know, I don't need to turn on the light because I can see with these Christmas lights. That's what Jesus does for us. You don't have to walk in darkness because He's given you light. You don't have to walk in fear because He's given you hope. You don't have to live in turmoil because He's given you peace. And when you see the light and the hope and the peace of Christmas, it changes everything. God who was born to die, to live, to rise again, And so he tells us, peace on earth. One day, that will be true.
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.